Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Hidden Truths. And today we have Josh Barrow. Hi, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. Great. 2023 is on its way to become an amazing year, right? Yeah. New year, new opportunity. That's right. Today you're going to speak about China and China's social economic evolution. It's, some, it's a topic that is of great interest right now. You see it addressed by a lot of news channels. What should we know about that, Josh? Let's, let's start by saying that China is a huge human rights violator. And I think we all know this. And we put up with it because manufacturing in China has allowed us to have this global deflation picture that we still are currently in. And has allowed us to be very successful in terms of being able to print money, leverage, all kinds of different things, and allow the consumer to, to keep on purchasing. Really, if we start, start talking about China, we need to go back to what Tiananmen Square. Now, I laugh because I was a freshman in, in high school, I think, when Tiananmen Square was going on, and I didn't really, at the time, understand how big of a thing that was. Tenement Square was a million protesters, a million people protesting. I don't know, realize how huge that is, but the figure average football stadium holds 50,000 people, 30 to 50,000 people. So you can do the math, you can and understand how large that was. And one of the images that still, that it still reminds me today was the guy who's standing in front of the tank column and wouldn't let the tank go by. And uh, they called him, they call him Tank Man now, but that image is still very vivid in my mind. And again, what was Tenement Square about? It, it was about social freedoms and things like that, and less intrusion from the government on these people's lives. They opened up fire on Tenement Square. They killed like 13,000 people at the time world outrage, but Tiananmen Square really led to a lot of the economic reforms that we see in China that opened up China's borders to manufacturing and some freedoms. I won't say a lot of freedoms, but some freedoms. And began that big mass migration from rural to industrial cities. One of the the underlying fundamentals going on with China and why it's been such a good place to invest over the past 20 years is because of this migration. You have massive building of cities. There's reports, maybe 10 years ago, I remember reports of like they would build cities and nobody lived there. We thought, oh, they're completely fraudulent. And then a year later, the city would be completely full. So the, you have this mass migration going on. Again, Tenement Square and allowing those freedoms allowed that to happen. Um, we all can agree there was huge human rights violations. The world ignores it because of this industrial manufacturing engine that China's become. There's a couple other policies. So there's Tenement Square. There's one child policy, which was started in 1979. What, from 79, if you look at the, the Chinese birth rates, they've fallen off. It was replaced in 2016 with where you could have two two kids and then just recently redone where you're allowed to have three kids. The government will incentivize you to have more children. 
birth rate, even as they've changed one one child, the one child policy, birth rates are still falling off and they're falling off, not hugely rapidly, but something where it's probably going to be problematic in, for China in the future in terms of what they are. I've included a chart, you can see the birth rate decline since 79, since they instituted this policy. And then you have another policy, and I call it the Jack Ma policy. I'm going rapidly through these things, but the Jack Ma policy was uh, President Xi Jinping is trying for a third re-election here, and he's in a party of communists, and the communists don't like freedoms. And that's just against what communism is. Ma was trying to launch Ant, which is a financial company in China. Don't forget Jack Ma is the founder of Alibaba. He's Chinese richest man. So he was trying to launch Ant at the time, and this was about 2022. And he was really bagging on Chinese regulators about how bad the banking system in China was. And all of a sudden, the government decided they weren't going to have it. And he disappeared overnight. They, he was grabbed by the government, told that he was going to be re-educated, whatever that means. And he was gone. And I remember lots of people in the markets, we were joking around, like, where's Waldo? It's like, where's Jack Ma? Nobody knows, right? So he disappeared, right? He disappeared. And he, again, re-educated. And he finally showed up recently, maybe a month ago in Thailand. And from Thailand, he showed up just in time to give his company away to his co-founder and the new CEO, Daniel Zhang. At the same time, the government said, hey, we're going to buy golden shares in, in Alibaba. So what's a golden share? It, it essentially lets the government have super voting power on the board and allowed to the shares allowed to appoint board members. So the government's taking shares. Jack Ma finally reappears just to do this, and then he, he's gone again. And you know, there's a huge conspiracy theory out there that, that um, is it really Jack Ma? Or did they re-educating mean that they did away with them and then they plastic surgery up somebody who would tow party line? The theory is that it's not really him. But And this goes into why were they doing this? Xi Jinping is at this time starting to have to get support for the party because he's running for a third five-year term. The Chinese Communist Party doesn't usually allow people to go more than two terms, so 10 years at most for any Chinese leader. So he had to really get hardline in the Communist Party to allow them for this third five-year term, which he got reelected in October of 22. He's not the president. He's the general secretary of the party. That's what his title is. Right. Um, but yeah, so what's really interesting is came down with this policy where they really went on, a, not just after Jack Ma, but these billionaire people in China who started getting outspoken, driving fast cars, doing all this crazy stuff. They really came down at, at them to get into this third term position. So now he has that. Going in, and so now what's important is the zero COVID policy. So let's not forget that there's conspiracy theories about where COVID came from, this lab in China. That's where the origin is. I think we can all 
guess that some of the conspiracy theories go around that we were very hard with President Trump at the time negotiating trade deals, and we were blockading products from coming into our country with tariffs and stuff like that. <laughs> trade negotiations heavy with Trump. So there's some indication, there's some theory out there that maybe they did, they released this virus onto the world themselves because of these trade negotiations. That's f fairly heavy conspiracy, but it is out there. And I don't know if I buy that, but it seems more like an accident, but who knows? Don't forget, COVID hit China a lot quicker than it did the U.S. And I remember everybody thought it wasn't going to be a big deal. The markets didn't react to it. And I just remember thinking, this seems a lot bigger that we're really talking about this a lot. And it was a lot bigger than they were thought. So when this happened, they shut down the city where the lab was and essentially cut those people off from the world so they couldn't spread it. It got out anyway and then spread across the world. We know that. But the policy came up of this where zero COVID policy, where if there's a case, they shut down the whole area and then they test and they don't let anybody move until it passes. It's really shut down whole areas of China. Industrial, Shanghai, and a couple other industrial areas. It cut off all essentially all the manufacturing and exporting China was doing. So it really shrank the economy way, way back where nobody was doing anything because of this policy. Lo and behold, the government decided that, hey, this isn't working. And so they lifted the zero COVID policy. And let's go back and remember, I think it was a few months ago where they were showing images of a welded building where they wouldn't let anybody out and then it was burning and all these people died in it. If I believe that happened, and again, it's just a human rights violation. They don't care about their people that much. They have, in their view, they probably have too many. But that was part of the zero lockdown of the policy there where you couldn't come out of the building and if they thought it was very contagious, they weld you in. Pretty crazy stuff. So again, human rights violations left and right. What's gone on after they've lifted the policy is fairly interesting. The world thinks that China is now going to grow because of this policy has been lifted. But let's step back. As soon as they lifted it, all the people that were making and manufacturing the COVID test kits were now suddenly out of business. They have all these protests of these uh, COVID control workers is what they called them. Now striking to get wages that they earned controlling the population. Well, there's a quote, there's a number out there and it's 1.3%. China grew about 2.7% GDP last year. And they're saying 1.3% of that growth was just in test kit manufacturing. And these COVID control people essentially wiped that 1.3 out. And you can see how slowly they grew last year. The year prior in 2021, they grew about 8%. So 2.7% last year and expected to grow between 5 and 5.5% 5 and in 2023. Um, I will come out and say that the 5.5% seems fairly optimistic in my point of view. And there's a lot of reasons why. To get the economy to grow, 
it's expected that they're going to come in with physical and monetary policy eases. So they're going to throw a lot of money at it to get the whole thing started up again. Just what we did after COVID lockdowns kind of occurred, the government gave lots of handouts, EP loans, all kinds of other assistance to get the whole thing going. China's going to do something similar to that. In, in terms of physical and stimulus policy. Now, they already did some physical, and a lot of it fell short of what people expected them to do. It was a lot less than what they were thought to have. There's a lot of optimism here because there's a lot of saved income, like 526 million won of saved income from these people not spending when they were in, in lockdown. And they, it's believed, like the, what happened in the U.S., that people will just go spend this money that's one of the reasons I'm a little bit mad. China's population's elderly, more more elderly than is they're given credit for. They're sa they're they're saving. So I don't think a lot of the savings will come back in. The culture is not the same as here, and just leave it at that. Other headwinds. So 16 consecutive months of real estate, residential real estate pricing downturn in China. If you look at it over 2022, that's roughly 29% down in pricing in the market. Reminiscent of 08 in the US. That That's a severe downturn in pricing in the residential market. The numbers always seem a little bit optimistic to us when we look at them. And some of the numbers are very unclear where they come up with them too. It's not like the US where there is some standardization of these numbers. The investment becomes a major concern because just like in 08, why do you want to buy a piece of property when you know the pricing still in a, a downturn? Plus, China's probably overbuilt here. And we'll get into why that's important in a minute. Reset, retail sales were down. They came in better than expected, and but they only came in better than expected because there was an incentive to get people to buy autos. If that incentive didn't exist, they would have came in line probably. So sales expectations there, that's not good. Their consumer's not spending. They're still coming out of this lockdown period. And there's a lot of joblessness there right now as these factories were shut down and they have to turn them all on. Um, add to that global recession. The U.S. is just not buying the same amount of products we were, and you can see that in, really see it in the container shipping rates. The global container shipping rates have come massively down from where they were from roughly a year ago. So with them feeling like consumer sentiment numbers are all-time lows in in. China that typically isn't good from the future, but you got a bottom someplace, and so a lot of people think that will be China will be bottoming in the consumer sentiment area here, and will go up from here in terms of that number. Um, I think I mentioned factory output is a problem, especially in a global recession situation. And then here's the big one: population growth. It's why we were talking about the one child, but yeah. there were more deaths than births in China last year. It hasn't done that in decades. I would have to go research, but let's call it 30, 40 years, okay? It's probably longer than that, where you haven't seen this. China is a labor trader. We trade our product manufacturing over there because it's cheaper to manufacture there because the labor costs are less. 
if their population starts shrinking significantly, they start running into labor problems, just like we have in the U.S., where we have a structurally tight market because of the age demographics that we have in the U.S. So we should have un low unemployment because structurally that's how the demographics, age demographics are laid out. So that problem is starting to occur in China. But the difference being the U.S. didn't have a one-child policy where China does. So what happened is why the baby boom generation is very large, generation, I think it's X, right? Generation X is very large here. The millennial generation, it's, it rivals the size of the baby boom generation. We have, we're at the extremes. We have old people, but we have young people. What's going on in China is they don't have any young people because there just hasn't been any, the birth rates have been declining since 79. And even with them changing the policy, what's gone on is that because of this mass migration and cities aren't a nice place to really live and have families, you haven't seen them actually take those incentives and have children. Big problem going forward is in terms of labor, pensions, because your aging population will draw down pensions. Less housing demands. So they're aging and dying. There's no reason to replace the housing that they have. There's no reason to build housing. And then what will happen is it'll be dependent, just like the U.S. is, really dependent on productivity growth. How can we be more efficient? Without the labor, and they are the world's manufacturing site, they'll have to start relying on productivity advancements in their factory orientations to keep the labor costs down. Because as soon as the labor costs go back up and say they start rivaling the U.S., all that manufacturing will move someplace else. It's water. It always finds the cheapest place to go. So what's going on? Why is this important? There's a lot of traders on the street who are betting that with this zero policy, the zero COVID policy going away, and that this massive restart is really going to affect the commodities market and push commodity prices up. That becomes problematic in the U.S. because we're battling inflation, right? So it'll make inflation more sticky and push the Fed to raise rates higher. We're looking at this because the restart of this country is in a decline in economics globally that, and there's not with the population trailing off now, there's not as much demand in this restart for commodities as say it would have been 10 years ago. While there is some commodity pressure going in, they're not building these massive cities anymore. And that infrastructure project is on the tail end of China. So we're talking about very different China going forward than, say, it was 10 years back. And therefore, that this 5% 5 is a little optimistic. It's still going to grow, but I would assume more at industrial rates, society rates of three and a half. And that's pretty fast for that society. Don't hold me to those because a lot of these numbers, it's not like the U.S. where we can get very fairly predictive because the data is of high quality. The data coming on here is not very high quality. I just think that we're seeing these massive rushes into copper and silver and some other metals and steel. The steel industry went crazy 
with it's really rapidly rise because they're China's a big importer of steel. And you're seeing nickel move. I'm more of a seller into this trade than I am a buyer. I think that if you weren't there, it's not a good time to get into it. If you were there, you could probably take your capital gains and maybe watch it from the sideline. Getting back to going from a 3% economy growth to five is actually a fairly large move in an economy this size. Their economy is big. Looking at the U.S. consumer and really looking at the savings rates and the credit card debt, credit card debt is now at plus 30 APR. That, that's just going to crush people. If you owe 100000 because the math is easy, 100000 30%, you're giving the credit card 30000 a year. The reason that I, this is even mentioning is savings rates are almost nil again. They're, the APR on credit cards is really high. Credit card debt is really high. So the U.S. consumer is still the driver of the world economy. We consume everything. We're... Uh, that's the U.S. culture. Consumer slows down because he's saddled with too much debt, which would uh, very much looks like that. Those people are just aren't going to buy the new iPhone or other Chinese goods. Now we'll still consume Chinese goods; they'll get some growth out of us, but just not to the extent that we were in 2022. I just don't think that growth number is going to come in. I think this reopening trade will probably peter out. Quicker, more quickly than you would think. With the Communist Party over there really being hardline now too, plus all the geopolitical tensions you have with Russia and where China's falling, getting off SWIFT, all this other stuff. I, it's just a tough play for me to want to make. And other not, people can do it. You have to take into consideration what happens in major countries like China. That's important to know because it has an impact on the world economy. And you mentioned the culture of the United States, and we are consumers, but when we don't consume as much, it has an impact. When the U.S. sneezes, the world gets a cold, right? This is something that we hear all the time, and it is very true. That is very true. You haven't, you know, there's still the soft landing idea going on in, in the U.S. economy, but all the Ford econometrics say something completely different are betting people. We think that there's a very deep recession coming and a big slowdown. And I just don't want to be in foreign markets when that happens. The, the U.S. will top its rates out first, and then it'll be what they call a race to the bottom as we all start running back down to protect our exports and bring interest rates back. See what happens, but the being short the dollar here, knowing that, that that's going to happen, it's been being short the dollar has been relatively good short term, but take any real period of time, six months plus a year, and it doesn't look like it would be a good idea to me. Mm -hmm. Slow global economic picture, not good for the leading manufacturing country in the world. And we'll see where it goes. There's some commodities in, in, that there's a lot of now, too. We all talk about oil. With global yeah. recession, the need for oil becomes less because yeah. you're just not manufacturing. So oil looks like it's in surplus to me. Um, plus, Russian exports haven't really slowed. They've just found a different logistics route. We'll see how long that goes.
the good news for Europe is that it's been fairly warm winter there. We pray for that to keep on going. They haven't had a lot of demand for uses of their supplies. Yeah. So they're getting away a little bit here because the weather's helped out, but we'll see if that continues. Bottom line, it's a good time to revisit your portfolio and make sure you apply the right adjustments. An economy like this with the forecast that we just talked about. Especially with interest rates about to do some different things here. It's a really good time to look at what you're doing because you need to set up for the next um, period of macroeconomics. There's a macroeconomic shift coming here. It's a really good time to to look at what you're doing. Perfect. If you want to make an appointment with Josh or with Bob, you can click the link below. We will share with you how you can schedule the free portfolio analysis with, with Bob or Josh. Why Josh? Yes, I'd love to do it. It's what I live for. Perfect. Thank you so much. Great insight again today on China, the economy, and the world economy. It's important to be aware of everything that happens out there so that you can make informed decisions and watch where your money goes. Correct. Right. Thank you so much, Josh. And for everyone else, thank you again for watching. We will share information on our social media channels on LinkedIn and also visit Hidden Truths at today, where you will find all our videos and podcasts saved there. Thank you again, and see you next time.